Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 407 with Ash Sadiq. Ash is talking about the key leadership behaviors that inspire folks. So you'll learn one, what are those 10 key leadership behaviors? Two, one mistake that quickly kills a team's creativity. And three, how to manage your bias like a pro. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F407. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope to check out some of our cool stuff. One of the coolest, newest things is the extra info on the drop-down menu of the podcast section of the navigation menu. So there you can find now some of our favorite episodes ever, every episode tagged by topic and competency covered and a handy index to every gold nugget summary wisdom. So cool new stuff over at awesomeatyourjob.com. And here's some cool stuff about Ash. Ash develops leadership, executive communications, and strategic sales programs. He currently works with Cisco's innovation startup teams to help them craft compelling value proposition narratives. Ash is also a mentor to entrepreneurs and a communications expert at the American Management Association. He's the best-selling author of the books, Meaning, Start with the Vision, and The Road to Success. Big thanks to Ash for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Ash, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Pete. Well, so I was intrigued to learn that you were a Fulbright scholar not once but twice. Didn't know that was actually possible. <laughs> so <laughs> can you tell us the tale? Absolutely. So I actually come all the way from Alexandria, Egypt, where in my earlier life, I was basically getting trained to become a linguist at the University of Alexandria. And by virtue of my work there as a teaching assistant, I applied for a Fulbright scholarship the first time I came to the U.S. as a participant in a summer program. And then the second time, I actually applied to be an assistant group leader that essentially then sort of leveraging the first time experience, sort of leading the group that went uh, the second time around. So that's really how it happened as part of my working at the University of Alexandria. And lo and behold, I mean, days go by and here I am actually leveraging a lot of that linguistics training in a lot of the executive coaching that I do with leaders today around leadership communications. Oh, that's cool. Excellent. And you've packaged some of these insights about leadership communications into your book, Meaning. Can you say what's sort of the the main message within this? So the main message behind Meaning was really driven by the experience working at Cisco Corporation, and especially at the highlight of the financial crisis in 2008. My job 
at Cisco at that time was to help understand the messaging that was happening outside Cisco about Cisco and also what the leadership team at Cisco needs to message, especially in Cisco's largest conference, which is the sales kickoff conference that happens on an annual basis. So I saw John Chambers at that time, he was the CEO at that time, really grappling with how Cisco tried to really sustain its position as well as also survive that financial crisis that were affecting basically the pockets and the budgets of uh, its own customers. Intriguing. And so then within that, you've sort of looked at individual leaders and what they were doing and found some interesting patterns. Exactly. So the the one thing that I saw and and John and, and the rest of the executive team at Cisco were doing really well. And of course, the technology at Cisco, just amazing how Cisco was making use of its own technology to speak across the 60,000 plus employees at that time, essentially helping them understand what was going on and really clarifying the meaning of why do we continue to do what we're doing, what sort of sustains our differentiation, and how leaders at all aspects and levels of the company can really help articulate that message all the way to the very last mile, every single employee, whether they are all the way in Cairo, Egypt, Dubai, in the uh, Arabian Gulf, or China, or India, or even in the U.S., the ability to continue to message to the employees why we're doing what we're doing and how do we move from where we are today into the future was very critical task and responsibility that leaders need to have all the time. I think in my mind, based on the research we've done for the book, this whole concept of communicating where we are, where we've been, and where we're going is the fundamental task and responsibility in my mind that the CXOs need to be communicating with their employees and organizations. And I'm curious, how does that shift if it's at sort of the at the manager level? At the manager level, it becomes really a pivotal moment for the manager to understand that, again, big part of their role is to help their team understand how the message that we're hearing from the CEO and the executive team translates into what we do on a daily basis. How do we connect the dots between the piece of a product that we're working on with the bigger product, with the bigger company, with the aspirations that the customers have? And that's really where, as you're saying, the manager's role is very critical because a lot of the time, the employees look up to that manager to explain what did John Chambers say and what does it mean to us? So again, managers have that communication responsibility so that when I work with leaders and and we basically talk about coaching and understanding what is a key pivotal responsibility for them, I mentioned the fact that they need to develop a signature talk that is really there to serve the purpose of translating that corporate vision and strategy and how it connects to what we do on a daily basis so that these employees have a very clear purpose and an understanding of how their little piece is actually part of that bigger puzzle and bigger vision. Now, in your book, Meaning, you identify 10 particular leadership behaviors that inspire followers. What are those 10? These 10 behaviors and the way that we've collected them is we basically worked with, we interviewed a number of leaders across a number of industries. And when we looked at the themes, we found that there are five behaviors 
that are really more about that leader and how that leader interfaces and interacts with his or her environment. And then the next five, and as I, I'm going to share with you the full list, the next five are really more about how they interface with everybody around them. So when you look at the top 10 behaviors for leaders who really are very good at communicating meaning, we see that the very first behavior is about how they accept the reality that business cycles will inevitably ebb and flow. And that's really what where we've seen at Cisco, the changes that were happening in the marketplace. The second one is they definitely need to cultivate the habits of listening and learning. And again, there were some leaders that we spoke with that really demonstrated this really well. The third one is to cultivate authentic humility in the sense that you really need to come across not as someone that knows it all, but someone who's really willing to listen and understand that this other person that I'm talking to may have a much better idea. And then number four, being able to clarify and focus on the organization's mission and values. People want something that is bigger than themselves to hold on to. And it is that leader's ability to focus that way, be able to understand what those values are and communicate them. And then number five is very interesting because it's really more about you know, what happens to us when we achieve success. Sometimes we think that's really where it emanates from. It has to start with us. But number five basically says, get out of the way so others can succeed. In the sense that you need to give people room, you need to give them space. And sometimes when a question is asked and that leader likes to give ideas, he or she will jump in and give an answer. And in my coaching, I basically tell them, pause, wait, let people in the room answer that question, because that's when you actually get them to see that they themselves can bring a lot of the ideas to the table. And then the second set of behaviors, as I mentioned, are really more about managing relationships. So number six is about building a solid network of relationships, knowing that it is incredibly powerful to be able to pick up the phone and connect the dots among five, six players. And then all of a sudden, you're able to staff up an innovation initiative very quickly. Number seven is about building strategic partnerships. And here, we're really talking more about not just internally, but also across the industry. And of course, we see very good examples of that at Cisco and other companies. Number eight is really more about caring for and rewarding people, because if you don't do the recognition and uh, celebration of what people achieve in the company, again, human need, we understand it from people like Daniel Pink and others, they are looking for that recognition a whole lot more than any dollars you give them. And then number nine is about over-communicating with all stakeholders, especially in times of crisis or change. And that's really where we see companies that stay ahead of the necessary work that needs to happen around communication, especially around the times of change. That's when you see people really doing well when they communicate and communicate repeatedly. And then others fail when they assume that the change is not that big and it's not big of a deal and everybody should just line up. And then they realize for human beings, change is real. They have, you have to talk to them and you have to talk to them repeatedly about the why of the change and how they fit into that picture. And then the very last behavior we see a leader's ability to build trust and buy-in is very critical. So when we look at all of these behaviors, that's how leaders then have what they need in terms of internal skills as well as external networks to communicate meaning, as we were saying at the very top of our conversation. 
Interesting. Well, thank you for that rundown here. And I'd like to get your take on you know, which of these behaviors do you think is the most critical or, or liberates the most inspiration from folks and, and why? I think the one that would really drive a lot of inspiration is having anchors in a value system and a philosophy that this leader or a team of leaders believe in, because without having these anchor points in a value system, then we we won't have anything that essentially sort of grounds us. So if we're facing difficulty, and if somebody listening to us is in a very difficult situation, let's they have a value that similar to, I will rise no matter what the difficulty is. I have achieved success in the past and I can achieve its success. Really holding on to a body of values makes a big, big difference. And that's why we see HP and a lot of other companies publishing, you know, what they call the HP way. It's the set of values. Apple did the same thing. A lot of leading companies make sure that they have a set of values that they communicate. And sometimes you may need to change them slightly, but you still do it in a way that really shows why we're doing what we're doing and how it's going to help us achieve what we need to achieve. So I think when people see that you believe in something, that you honor it despite the challenges and the difficulties, then highly likely they will trust you more. They will buy more into your message. But if they see you shifting more because of profits and uh, what the market demands all the time, then they will feel like maybe they could do the same thing and they could look for profits and other opportunities somewhere else. Whereas if you give them something bigger than just the financial aspect, maybe the vision for what the company stands for, the mission, and all of those things really, really give that leader the chance to inspire people, retain them for the long term, because they are here not just because of what you give them, but rather what they are able actually to create with you and help accomplish. I'd love it if you could maybe make it all the more real when we talk about anchor points in a value system. So could you give us some examples of, uh, hey, this company has this value and this is how they see it lived out in practical reality for real? Because I think what's what's interesting about values is that sometimes, well, sometimes they're not lived at all and it's just sort of lip service. Integrity, you know, like most, many companies have integrity as a value and, and then many companies show just how little they have when the scandals hit the the headlines. But I guess on the flip side, I guess I'm thinking about, so I remember when I was working at Bain, I thought they did awesome with regard to to living their values. Like, for example, one of them would, they'd call it the openness to the 1% possibility and that 1% possibility is that you're wrong, you know, that you're mistaken. And so then, like, it was cool how it was okay as someone fresh out of college to to correct a, a manager or partner with a, a different fact, you know, that would be contradictory to uh, what they're saying in, in a team meeting. Or while discussing professional development with a manager, like, hey, these are my goals, the manager would say, okay, cool, uh, these are my goals and what I'm working on. So, so that kind of humility was really cool. Like, hey, we're, none of us are perfect. You know, we're all working on something. And so I'm with you. That liberated some inspiration for me in terms of this place is cool. And they, they mean what they say on this little chart of, of operating principles. And, uh, and I like that. So could you give us some more examples of a particular company has a particular value that, that shows up in a real way that unlocks inspiration? I think probably one of the best examples I can remember, whenever you want, you're you on one of those Southwest flights and you hear the uh, air hostess uh, making the comments, you know, just about when you're landing and she makes you laugh. 
And when you look at Southwest's values, you see that one of them is live the Southwest way. And under that banner, they basically says you have to have a servant's heart and a fun-loving attitude. So you take this value and you make sure every employee in the whole Southwest system applies it. Then you see it showing up when you hear the pilot talking and being very personable and giving you the comfort and the trust that everything's going to be fine. Or when you hear the air hosts making a funny comment and again, making you laugh on the airplane. I think when the value then influences everybody's behavior all the way to the point that becomes part of what you do on a daily basis, that's really where it becomes an anchor point that everybody understands and that's that's our culture here because, of course, those values is what eventually constitutes that whole concept of culture that the company has. And if people then start to embody it in their actions and words, then you're actually seeing a living example and not just a set of words that are written, written on a piece of paper. So that's the example that just comes to mind right away. Oh, that's a good one. I'd love to hear some more. When we look at innovation, for example, which is a big value at Cisco, and also the idea that you should never really get religious about technology. I think Cisco and a lot of other companies, they have figured out that if you get stuck in your ways, it will basically lead to extinction. Whereas if you adopt more of an innovative mindset that basically says, I need to be able to, at times, maybe walk away from something that I invested billions of dollars in. And when I was at Cisco, if you remember the flip camera, that was an acquisition that Cisco spent a lot of money on. And at some point, it was clear it was not the right direction where things were going. And they were able to then say, stop, let's shift. So I think seeing this in real life, despite, again, the cost, then it shows you that it's better to make the decision now, acknowledging the cost and be able to shift direction and focus on something that the market is looking for also shows you that value. And of course, at Cisco, when we were walking around with the employee badge, we actually had that written down on the badge where make sure you never get religious about technology. What you really be focusing on is what are the customers looking for and how can you be innovative and self-destructive so you can bring these technologies to market. That's another example where you need to look back at that value and make sure that that value is helping enlighten and educate the decision you're making. And again, when when we talk to leaders, one of the best things they could do is to really be comfortable really focusing on the values as something that has long-term application and value for the organization. That's great. Thank you. And I'd also be curious, having studied all these things and synthesized and come up with the the themes associated with these behaviors, does it now shine a clearer, brighter light on some behaviors that you're like, oh my gosh, this is just terribly wrong (laughs) in in terms of, are are there maybe little things that leaders or, or professionals at large do frequently that are really just inspiration killers that uh, you'd recommend we stop doing right away? I would say it's been interesting for me over the past three years to realize, to your point, that a lot of the time, the words you say on a daily basis, the actions you take on a daily basis are also driven by philosophies and points of view that you have, which in some respect is essentially a set of values that you believe in. And if you think that the only smart one in the room is you because you've spent 18 years learning about networking or about fashion or about this or that, then that's going to block you out from realizing that there are a lot more ideas in the room. So this really emanates from a value where you think, well, you know what? 
I am the source of intelligence. And sometimes we all may make this, this mistake of thinking that there are many solutions and I'm the only source for them. So understanding that we may have a bias to favor our own thoughts and then make sure that we manage that and be self-aware of it and then basically say, you know what? I would love to hear your ideas. Then all of a sudden, everybody in the room is very much encouraged and inspired by the fact that you're actually looking up to them. You're basically telling them, I know you guys are smart. I know you have ideas and I want to hear them. Before you share anything, you want to sort of almost use that question inquiry process to uncover innovative ideas. So again, one of the things I do with a lot of leaders is I basically tell them right now, your biggest value is not to share ideas, but actually ask good questions. I like that a lot. And so you're asking the questions first before you share your ideas. Exactly. And you mentioned managing your bias. I imagine at times that could be easier said than done. What are some of your your favorite pro tips and best practices for pulling that off? I think one of the tips I would give people is being very transparent and vulnerable at the same time, in the sense that you may tell people, hey, I have a tendency to overpower my own thought process and think, you know, the only way is probably some of the ideas that I'm bringing to the table. So if you see me jumping in, say, you know what, Ash, I'm not coming to you for solutions. I really want to show you a, a number of options that we've come up with. And then and only then I'd love to get some of your input. Because Otherwise, they may actually then think their ideas are not worth sharing with him or her. And as a result, maybe some innovative ideas never really see the light of day. So as much as these leaders share where the blind spots might be, in a way that's not necessarily showing it as a weakness, but rather as a blind spot that they want to be watching out for, and they need to have the trust of their team to help them, sometimes uh, make sure that that's not where we're spending most of our time, but rather we're spending a lot of our time in uncovering as many ideas from across the team. And that's really where diversity comes in, in terms of the diversity of thought and idea and innovation and making sure that collectively we're finding what's the best for the organization rather than, oh, it came from this person or that person. I think looking at the outcomes that we're trying to achieve then helps us really tone down where the source of idea is, not to the point that you completely not go back and celebrate where it came from, but once you are driven by more by the outcome, it really helps you reduce the reliance on, oh, he's the only one that's that has these ideas or she's the only one, but rather let's take a look at what the whole team can bring to the table. I really like that notion associated with the others bringing in the the winning ideas. And I just think about how how often... It's not fun to be wrong. <laughs> yes. And I feel like it can be wrong in any number of ways, like the exact opposite approach is that you thought of as the optimal one. Or for me, I, th- I find it's often about, uh, I want to go fast, but we should slow down, you know, or I want to go slow, but we should speed up. I find it helpful to reflect upon the times that I've been dead wrong. And it was so helpful that someone slowed me down or sped me up. I remember one time I was in PayPal and uh, I, I was making a payment to someone in the Philippines in in pesos or a PHP. And 
it uh, and it's about 50 to one <laughs> is the conversion rate. And I accidentally did it in dollars. And I'm often frustrated when, when software goes slow. But then when it said, oh, did you want to give um, $4,000? I was like, oh, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> and, and so then sure enough, I, I appreciated all of the ways that you know, software, the security, the, the two-factor authentication, the texting you this or that can, can really you know, save the day you know, at times for you when I want to go fast and I'm frustrated that it's slowing me down. And, and so I find that it is helpful to, to remember is like, Hey, you know, it might not feel so great in the moment to have a, a force speed you up or slow you down or point you in the opposite direction that you want to go. But, uh, it, it sure feels better, uh, when you, you get the desired outcome than the outcome you would have got if had you had it your way. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's handy for me in the humility, just uh, coming up with those reminders. <laughs> and I also like to get your take on if there are any other kind of, you know, best practices in terms of tips, tricks, uh, phrases, or scripts that uh, just are really common handy when, when folks are trying to, to live out and implement these 10 leadership behaviors. A very interesting idea that actually evolved over the past few months is what I'm now calling emotion one and emotion two. And emotion one essentially most of us, leaders, whatever walk of life we're in, a lot of the time when something happens, when someone comes to talk to you, you have that emotional reaction in your body. And a lot of the time, leaders who are not emotionally intelligent, they will give in to that first emotion. Maybe it's an emotion of frustration. Maybe it's an emotion of, oh my God, I cannot believe they screwed this up again. And then the response is going to be one that they were not really like eventually. So what I'm basically starting to tell some of the leaders I work with is I want you to recognize that first emotion because once you recognize it, then you're going to know it's a pause moment where you realize it is not going to be the best uh, basis for what you want to say or do. So what I advise them of doing is I advise them to let that first emotion wear off. And then we come to the second emotion. And the second emotion is really more driven by what outcome do we want to achieve eventually? Because as you said, maybe sometimes I need to realize that a particular activity I need to slow down in order for me to go very quickly in the future. So once you recognize the very first emotion, if you go with that flow of that emotion, you may say something that you're going to regret or do something that, again, you're going to regret. So I tell leaders to be emotionally present, understand that the first thing that needs to happen is to realize that there's no way for you to stop that emotion. Just let it go through the system and let it wear off. And then ask yourself the question, what is the action, the word that I need to say and do that would actually help us move our cause to the next step? What is it that I could say that would help that person that I'm talking to understand that I empathize with them, that I understand what they had to go through, and then I'm willing to talk to them about what conditions for success do we need to create in order to take the next step. I like that a lot. And I think a lot of times for me, the emotion one is like, I'm hearing something that I think is outrageously wrong, ridiculous, absurd, uh, offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm reacting strongly to yeah. something that uh, I, I think is outrageous. And, and so my go-to phrase is just tell me more. 
I love that. Yes, yes. Which, which doesn't mean, it, listeners, if I say that to any of you, that means I'm furious. I sometimes I just I want to know more, and I don't know the perfect follow up question. And I just say keep, keep talking about that. You know, yeah. is is what I mean. That doesn't mean I'm enraged, but um, <laughs> I, I find that that's helpful. For one, it, it buys you time because yeah. they they will tell you more, and you can breathe a little bit as they're as they're doing so. Yeah. And two, as you learn more about where they're coming from and the rationale for the idea, like nine times out of ten, it's like, oh, that's really not so absurd after all. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I still disagree, but uh, it's a plausible alternative to to the view I had. Yeah. And uh, and, and now let's sort of see what uh, what's optimal, you know, together from here. Exactly. Exactly. You're right on. I love that because, again, you know, it helps you uncover, you know, maybe there are details that will change what I'm thinking right now. And that's the interesting part is when you actually uncover further details, then you realize something wrong happened with these guys. And that's why they were acting the way they were acting or they're under some pressure that I did not understand or they were missing a piece of information. So having that pause in the system, to your point, looking for more information is a very wise thing to do because, again, as leaders, you're usually working with very high-stakes situations. And if you go with emotion one, it may actually mess things up. Well, Ash, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention about inspiration or being awesome at your job before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Absolutely. I think one of the, the key nuggets I share with people, and it's based on my experience having worked at Deloitte Institution San Francisco, when you develop an outcome-based thought process, it not only inspires you to do really well every single day, but also once you act that way, you also start inspiring other people. Because a lot of the time, if you don't have that mindset of, I am here almost as a management consultant, I am here to really achieve success for my client. And you start really looking at everyone that works with you as your own client. It helps you detach from the struggles and the challenges and the dynamics of the moment to be someone that is self-composed and is much more results and success focused, that it just creates an interesting air around you, that people want to work with you, people want to be part of any project you work on, because you can see you have that focus on, I am here to help achieve success, not just for me, but for people around me. And it's very inspiring. That's funny, Ash. Like, I guess in some ways I'm naive or idealistic and, and also, you know, a former strategy consultant from Bain. But for me, it's almost like that's the only way, you know, yeah. that I, I just naturally think and operate and breathe and, and work. And so sometimes it, it, there's a bit of a disconnect in terms of realizing where other people are coming from and, and their priorities. But I'd love it if you could maybe give us a bit of a of a flavor for, okay, an outcome-based mindset is, is one way to go and to think, live, operate in the course of doing work. Uh, what are some of the, the main contenders or alternative uh, mindset worldviews that are driving people, if not the outcome-based mindset? I think what happens on the other side of that is you actually get, I call it sucked in. You get sucked into the dynamics of the situation. You know, let's say the other person is, makes a comment. You don't like the comment as we were talking about emotion one. You get sucked into the dynamics of the conversation. And all of a sudden you've created an unhappy other person who thinks maybe you are not open to new ideas or you don't understand what they want or you're not listening. So they walk away with that impression about you and perception about you and then starts to build up because she's going to go walk out to somebody else and say, oh, I was just sitting with Ash 
And I just got a, you know, a vibe that he just doesn't want to listen to what we want to do. And I don't think he's going to really be able to help us. So all of a sudden, when we don't focus on that alchemist thinking and we get into the flow of that conversation, we give into that first emotion, then we create a dynamic that's not going to be helpful for us. So it sort of militates against wanting to be awesome. And if you want to be awesome, then we have to stay with that outcome-based where some of the language I use, and, and again, to your point, Pete, working in management consulting, you know that you know one of the key things you want to say is, as you said, tell me more. What does the solution look like? Help you get it done. When we're done, what would it look like? So you can help people articulate what they're looking for. Whereas if you get into the flow and the dynamics of the personalities, then it's not a good situation. And we see a lot of just toxic environments really coming out of a lot of people giving in to those feelings that happen in the spur of the moment without focusing on what that outcome that they're trying to build is for that person that they're sitting in front of. Well, Ash, I'd love it if you could, for a moment, uh, enter the dark place and articulate, you know, what sorts of angry or reactive or what sorts of like thoughts and responses, you know, internally or verbalized are popping up when, when folks are in this less optimal mindset when they're working with folks? Yeah, I think from my own personal experience, I mean, I remember in my early days working at Deloitte where I went into a client where my mind was thinking, this company should be a whole lot more advanced than this. They should know a lot of things already. They should have this, they should have that. And I was just getting frustrated with the fact that my own expectations and assumptions about a large organization were not present. People walked away from the conversation with me saying to my boss, well, Ash is really coming across very arrogant. We feel he's really talking down to us. So as you uncover your perceptions about the situation and what you're saying, I think the lesson there is figure out first what the other person knows, what the expectations are, validate some of your assumptions before moving to the next step. And that's what we start to realize then that the most important thing is to really come across as someone who's there to, as Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand then to be understood. With that in mind, it really sets you up for success. Whereas when you walk in thinking you're the smartest man, lady coming to the conversation, you're really blocking out a lot more opportunity than otherwise. So I love what Stephen Covey says, and I think that was the biggest lesson there is rather than going in thinking they should have all this stuff in place already, you basically ask the question, so what are the things that we have already so we can build upon and see what else is missing? Lovely. Well, now I'd love to hear some of your favorite things. Could you start by sharing a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? The favorite quote that I heard a few weeks ago was, I did it because I did not know it was impossible. Thank you. I don't know what the attribution is, but actually it was a CEO of a startup company and he heard it somewhere. And I said, that's just amazing because it allows us to have the freedom to pursue goals and aspirations without bidding in mind whether somebody did it before us or not. We just keep going. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? I think the work that we've done for uh, the Meaning Book really gave us the chance to speak with leaders in, in a number of companies. And it showed us how even 
in situations where the business is much smaller, the leadership communication challenges are pretty much the same. And of course, it gets much more compounded in a larger organization. But the leader's ability to remember that they need to reiterate the reason why we're doing what we're doing and where we're going is is a very, very important. So that was very interesting. And now I find out that a lot of CEOs, they get so entrenched in the daily grind that they forget that their biggest responsibility is the communication piece. And that's really where the coaching sometimes is very critical. And also the board of directors helps them to realize that you need to step out of the business and work on the business. And the best part that you could do on the business is to really check on the vision and see if everybody's heading in the right direction and then come back and tell them where they need to steer the course so that they can correct any misalignments. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? I would say probably my favorite authors is Tom Peters. And I love all of his books, especially the brand new books. I think, again, going back to management consulting, he really gives you a lot of ideas based on having been a consultant before. And it gives you that insightful view on things, especially on yourself as the brand. And I love when he says the idea of each one of us looking at ourselves as a professional services organization of one, which again means everyone around you is a client. It helps free up your thought process. It helps you to really anchor what you do in your own value system of delivering value to the customer and clients and the the team that you are a part of. And that is being outcome-focused mindset. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Something that helps you be awesome at your job. A favorite tool for me is uh, definitely LinkedIn, I think is, is an amazing tool in the sense that it gives me a much better level of access and knowledge about people I work with, industries I try to reach out to. I think there's a lot more to these social media tools that we have yet to discover in terms of how to actually put it to use to create value for us and other people. So uh, I would say definitely LinkedIn is one of my top tools right now, given the fact that I'm running an executive coaching practice and connecting with other coaches, connecting with clients, and really trying to find out what are the top leadership challenges that we need to help our clients with. And how about a favorite habit, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Okay, so I think a favorite habit is to realize that sustaining your energy is going to stem from the fact that you also take care of yourself and exercise and make sure that you have time for yourself. Because with an opportunity for reflection, I have seen comes a lot of dividends. You know, your brain needs time to rest in order to connect the dots. And sometimes you get an an inspiration based on the fact that you essentially sat down and allowed yourself not to do anything. You know, maybe, you know, you're enjoying your favorite drink or you're reading a book, but you're able to relax and be able to receive some of these ideas. Because otherwise, if you're just, again, just going through the grind and you don't give yourself a break, you may actually losing out on amazing opportunities for coming up with breakthroughs that your team may need, you yourself might need. So I think coupling energy building activities plus also having downtime is very critical. And in terms of apps, probably the, uh, I think the calendar app on, on our phones now makes a big difference in terms of keeping us organized. I also use Evernote. I'm still trying to see if Twitter really is very valuable, but I do use it sometimes. <laughs> It is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and, and resonate with your clients or audiences? I think the best nugget 
is uh, the idea of being what Tom Peter said around the professional service organization in one. It really helps you to have self-independent thought to really take care of what you have to take care of. You never really are giving into being a victim to any situation. You are always feeling like you are in command. If something has to happen, it has to happen because you started and it has to start with you. And that's very critical. And I think a lot of the time we lose a lot of energy because we're waiting for somebody else to do something or we think they're not going to like it or this or this or that. And I basically come back and say, if there's one action you could do now, what would it be? And let's do it. I dig it. Well, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would encourage them to visit executivegreetings.com. I will actually prepare for them a few downloads at executivegreetness.com slash Pete slash and then you'll they'll find a downloadable on strategic leadership and also a free chapter of the meaning book as well. Oh, thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think to really make sure that they have that independent thought and don't be affected by the environment as much as sort of coming back to their own a desire to succeed and uh, say, if I were to do something today, what is it? And let me make it happen. That's going to inspire themselves to do more and also inspire others by what they've done. Well, Ash, it's been a whole lot of fun. I wish you all the best with your clients and and coaching and leadership inspiration stuff. Uh, Keep at it. Thank you so much, Pete. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed Ash's humility in terms of how he thought some people should come in and already know some things or be doing things better, but they're wrong. And then he said he got some feedback about how he's coming across arrogant. And then he learned that he doesn't always have to have all the right answers, but often just the best questions can be tremendously valuable and finding all the little things that it's easy to do wrong. I really appreciate that he opened up about them. And I encourage you to take your own look in the mirror in terms of humility and figuring out, is there anything you're doing that just isn't working for you? Are you maybe thinking you got all the answers when maybe you'd be better off having more of the questions? Good stuff from Ash. Hope you dug that and more. The show notes, transcripts, links, items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F407. If you haven't already, I hope you push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Alton Barron. He's talking about creativity and he's an orthopedic hand surgeon. He's learned a thing or two about the importance of using your hands for creation and inspiration. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.